Hi everyone, as Nigel said, my name is Maddie, if you don't know me, and I'll be reading the Bible tonight. Um, so the passage is from Galatians 6, 1 to 18. So if you would like to open up to that, I'll give you every second to do so. Galatians 6, 1 to 18. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Well, please keep Galatians 6 open if you've got it there. Well, if you're a farmer, sowing seed is a serious, careful business. Your livelihood relies on what happens next, doesn't it? Not the next day, but in the next season. You sow according to the times and the weather and the soil. You sow in hope, needing to be patient and ready to reap what you have sown. Seeds have specific potential, don't they? Farmers sow something looking to see that something grow. No one sows apple seeds or, or wheat grain expecting a banana plantation or fig trees to suddenly pop up. You reap the specific thing that you have planted. Well, we, I, I start this, on this note tonight simply because this is where Paul starts to finish this great letter to the Galatians. Having defended the gospel and that long story of faith fulfilled in Christ, he's landed heavily on what we have been freed for. 
So having spent so much of the last nine weeks looking clearly at what we've been freed from, we've landed in these last few weeks in what we've been freed for. Faith expressing itself through love. A life walked with the Spirit. A readiness to do battle with the old sinful nature even as we know that fruit of the Spirit growing slowly but carefully within us, the very character of Christ. The image of sowing in chapter 6 meshes with that of fruit, doesn't it, in chapter 5. Both of them speak of patience, a slow, deliberate process generated by God, welcomed by us and gone at together. As our growth group opened that last part of chapter 5 this week, we just noted again that the works of the flesh, and remember flesh here is shorthand for the old sinful nature. There's nothing wrong with our bodies. Our bodies are great. God makes stuff. He loves flesh. But flesh in this context is the old sinful nature. And as we opened chapter 5 this week as a growth group, we realised that all of those works of the flesh, uh, they're damaging and dramatic, aren't they? They're immediate, they're selfish, they're the Netflix template. But the fruit of the Spirit, much quieter, they're long-term, they're deeper in beauty, breeding health and life in relationships. And they're not likely to show up on our TV screens anytime soon. They're of a different category. What Paul adds in 6 is the reminder that however we choose to live, we will reap what we sow. It will show up at the end. He says there in verse 7, Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So what seeds are you planting tonight? How am I sowing right now? As we consider what the verses around these verses reveal about that life sowed to the Spirit, keep in mind that none of this, none of what we're dealing with here, is a private self-improvement project. Anything to do with the Spirit is always about you in relationship with me and others. None of this is simply about you or, or, or myself as solo units. Remember, in terms of, of chapter 5, verse 13, our freedom is there to serve one another humbly in love. So with that as our guiding principle, we find in chapter 6 that sowing to the Spirit means being merciful. It means being burden-bearing. It means avoiding comparisons. And lastly, investing in gospel ministry. There are parts of this chapter, there's treasure here that I won't touch on tonight and I will address in, um, in Sermon Extra. Make sure you send your, your questions through. But let's look at that first one there, being merciful. In that previous passage, uh, we saw, didn't we, the serious battle that goes on inside the believer. It's going on right now. That struggle between the resident spirit and the old sinful nature. As I said to the youth uh, last week, the battle is real, but it's not even. We're not dealing in a sort of a yin-yang, 50-50 battle between darkness and light, good and evil. The battle is real, but it's not even. 
the holy God who in his spirit is resident within us individually and as a body is Lord. He is strength incarnate. So when he's in the picture, all else is lesser. So we who have the spirit have been strengthened to recognise and flee from temptation. But we've also been reminded, have we, by that spirit-laden word, that there are hours, there are days when we fail, when we do sin in thought, word and deed. What happens next is the measure of who we are and the gauge of our God's strength. Slaves to sin are stuck in it. They might feel bad, even wretched, but they have no means of clearing the decks with God. They might do some repair work this way, but they have nothing or no means of clearing the decks or the debt with God. We who are free in Christ are not stuck. We are inherently mobile, even in our failure. For God's grace calls us back to him in repentance, doesn't it? When we have sinned. And this passage is equipping us as a body to be helping one another in that very process. How to stay mobile even in our failure. So he says there, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. The term used for restore here, it's the same word that we would use uh, if you were resetting a broken bone or if you were going about that work of mending a ripped net. It's a task that requires a gentle strength and care. Now, if you remember from last week, gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. It is basic to God's character. It describes one with immense strength who uses it in a very careful, deliberate manner. Our God is gentle. He carries with him immense strength, but it's used very specifically and carefully with you and I. And we are to be the same with each other, particularly in the bruised space of repentance. I think gentle restoration, uh, it may involve admonition. That's you, that's you coming to me and saying, James, do you know what you said there? Do you realise how hurtful that was, what you did then? Gentle restoration may involve a careful calling to account a brother or sister who has sinned. It shares the grief at failure. It feels the godly sorrow at sin and it moves forward in forgiveness. We take repentance very, very seriously here. The word sorry is to be honoured. It is never to be uttered lightly or in an offhand way. Never received cheaply. That's how a gospel-shaped church or home or a group of friends operates. It reveals that we're not slaves to sin. We're mobile. We are servants of Christ who honours our repentance with grace. And yet that's not the world we live in, is it? I remember one of my, my guys, my kids, coming home a number of years ago from primary school, just, just you could see, so frustrated in a quiet despair. I said, what's wrong? What's up? And this one said, 
about these friends. They've no idea how to forgive. Even when someone said sorry, they just hold on to it. There's a group of kids, like way too many adults, way too many homes, uni classes, workplaces, where there is no gospel. There's no mechanism for forgiveness and restoration, only a proud, stubborn slavery. Is that your home? Is that a group of friends that you know at uni or your workplace? We who are free in Christ, we must be otherwise, mustn't we? Hear the warning that comes in that second part of verse 1. Watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. See, I can't be proud in the face of your sin because I'm just as liable as you to stumble and to fall. I need the very same salvation that you have. I need God's grace and mercy daily. I can't be proud. Those who sow to the Spirit move forward together in forgiveness, cognizant of our own weakness, eager to see you grow, move, get beyond it. We're never stuck in failure, but we're mobile in God's grace, restoring the sinner in gentleness and hope. And such sowing also produces a burden-bearing community. So part two. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Back in 5.14, we're told the entire law is fulfilled in this one commandment. Love your neighbour as yourself. And Paul loops back around to that point and just fleshes us out. It's an incredibly practical love. Mutual burden bearing, it's basic to actually being a human being made in the image of God which is precisely the big project that the Holy Spirit is about within us. He's renewing us in knowledge in the image of our creator, restoring us to our proper DNA, if you want to put it that way. Remember, everything was good in creation back in Genesis, but in Genesis 2, it was not good for the man to be alone. The task of life, that that project of stewarding our little corner of creation, it's way too complex. It's too large and, in the broken world, incredibly messy. Adam needed a helper and so do you and so do I. It may come in the form of a spouse, it may not, but it certainly comes in a family in Christ, a body around you and me. Burdens might fall into all sorts of categories. They might be carried in various ways. It could be a meal to someone who's sick, someone who's got new kids, babies. It might be financial help, some material aid to someone who's just out of work, long-term, immediate. It might be an older sibling sitting with the younger, helping him through maths homework. A garden cleared, a seat at the table for someone who has no family or is visiting from overseas. All of these are immediate helps. They're good uses of our strength. These things are a sowing to the spirit. It's about the other. But what if we're, we're healthy? We don't have any kids. We're, we've got some income from work. Um, garden's okay. Family's around us. And we never, ever, 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 ever have to do maths homework ever again. With apologies to our maths teachers there. 
including my growth group leader. What if we're in that situation? How are you going with letting others carry your burdens? Make no mistake, the verse is clear. It says, carry each other's burdens. Sowing to the Spirit, planting now with an eye to eternity, allowing God to make us more and more in the image of Christ means letting others into our lives, not just stepping occasionally into theirs. You might be one of the great servant hearts in this congregation. You might be the first to meet a need when it arises, to get out there and help, but be glacially slow in letting anyone near your burdens. Especially if they're inner matters, they're long-term griefs, they are struggles of the soul and mind things that require vulnerability, things that mean that you and I have to admit, I'm weak, I'm in need, and I'm frightened. Friends, if we would sow to the Spirit, we cannot live proud, hidden lives. Let me say that again. If we would sow to the Spirit, we cannot live proud, hidden lives. These things particularly the internal things, they're not easy to air, are they? They're not for public discussions. We need to be known for our discretion here. But God has given us to each other that we might find within the family of Christ those who can walk with us in, the, in our anxiety. They can be present in our fear. They can listen as we try to find the words for our confusion. That's half the struggle sometimes, isn't it? I would actually love to talk to someone. I just don't know how to say this. God's given us a family who might be with us, believe us when we've been abused, and walk with us through that long road out of the pain. That is happening here, and I love this church for that fact. I love the fact that I go to my growth group simply as a man, as a husband, as a dad, and I can be who I am there. And to put it on, remarkably honest group of men, I love them, and I know that I'm loved there. Is your growth group a place of honesty? If you're someone who, in all honesty, has kind of withdrawn into this proud, supposedly safe cul-de-sac where no one really knows what's going on, I encourage you, ask the Lord that he might provide brothers and sisters who will help carry these things with you and you their burdens. And pray for perseverance. These things are not easy to air or carry. And we do grow weary. We grow weary of burden bearing, weary of the struggle to say no to sin, yes to him, the spirit of God within us. Eugene Peterson notes that the besetting temptation of the life of the Spirit is simply to quit. <laughs> to quit. Sowing is deliberate long-term work. The fruit of the Spirit are fine-grained and they come slowly at times. And we are finite creatures. We are prone to brokenness. We are living in the bizarre, the strange tension of a global pandemic and it's not ending anytime soon. Paul writes in verse 9, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. 
Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Brothers and sisters, keep going. Keep serving in the strength that God provides. Do not doubt that what we sow now, we will reap in good time, in God's time. God sees everything. Just as he can't be mocked, that those who want to live by the flesh think they can fool God on the final day, that's just not going to happen. But the flip side reality is also incredibly important, isn't it? God sees where you are serving. He knows the burdens that you are helping to carry and the ways that you're honouring him. And sometimes no one else knows, but he knows. He knows your service and he loves it. And where we as leaders are aware of it, we're so deeply, deeply thankful for it. As Paul writes at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, your labour in the Lord is never in vain. It's never wasted. Keep going, but not on your own. The reason that Paul emphasises here uh, serving or doing good to the family of believers especially is not because he wants us to withdraw from the world, to pull out of social justice matters and all charity and so on. That's not what's being said here. But he's reminding us that the church is a family of God, is a family that God has created, a community that is not like any other, is where our newfound identity in Christ is to be tested and expressed. Will we share our burdens honestly, freely, Will we serve those who are simply not our flesh and blood family? Will we share the burdens of those with whom we share no nationality or language, no common education, no geography or gender or age? Will we share ourselves and carry the burdens of those with whom we are one in Christ and on those grounds are family alone? As we were told back in chapter 3, here there is no slave or free, Jew or Gentile, male or female, but all are one in Christ Jesus, common heirs, the promises to Abraham. Will we do that? See, the world doesn't relate like that, but those who sow to the Spirit do. And our witness to the world, when we are engaged in the world, is at its most potent when we do it together. Because the world looks on and goes, who are you guys? What are you hanging around for? Why do you love each other the way you do? What is it? And our answer is, it's not what, it's who. It's Jesus. That's why Paul wants us to be a potent, doing good community to each other, because that will be a witness to the world. Well, in the midst of all this restoring of sinners and burden-bearing, Paul provides a warning about pride. So part three, be wary or avoiding comparisons. Sin's the great divider, isn't it? It's the great isolator. The sinful heart is a combative organ, and we know the old sinful nature, it retains its habit, doesn't it, of measuring ourselves against others, of trying to, to, to get the glory instead of someone else. Back in chapter 5, 19, 20, the acts of the flesh are jealousy, selfish ambition, envy. They're all deeply damaging. 
Later in chapter 6, Paul's final strike at these legalist teachers. He said, do you know they're just dodging? All they're doing is dodging persecution because they won't proclaim Christ crucified. They don't love the Galatians. They want to get the Galatians on side so they can boast about them to someone else. They don't love the Galatians the way that Paul does. All this fleshly behaviour dies hard. And in, verse, in 6 verses 3 and 5, Paul once again equips us for the fight. He says, if anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Now this flows on from verse 1 and 2 because the truth is, isn't it, dealing with others' sins, dealing with others' burdens can breed in us a quiet or overt superiority. Or at least like, I'm not perfect, but look at the mess they're in. It's true, isn't it? That's the sort of conceit that will never admit to weakness, will never admit a fear. Friends, be wary of that competitive spirit. It is toxic. It is ungodly. I see it in too many adults who are decades further on than you are and they're quietly always competing, always measuring themselves against someone else. It's a petty, silly way to live. It's a conceited way to live. As Paul reminds us here, we've got nothing to boast about except Christ our Saviour. If, if, if any of us have stumbled into that sort of behaviour, just repent. Repent of it. Boast of only the cross. Operate before an audience of one, the living God, and cast a very honest eye over our motivations and actions. The way that Paul frames it here, he's not doing that so we just kick ourselves constantly and limp through life. He wants us to look closely at our hearts and, and why we do what we do because sure enough, we will find in there evidence of God working. I want you, as you, I hope you want me to find evidence of patience growing, of that gentleness in motion, of a faithfulness that actually that wasn't true of me this time last year. Look closely at your heart, at your life. Be very honest and be encouraged where you see the spirit at work. But where we find envy and pride and petty measurement, repent. Be ruthless, as we heard last week. Kill it off. That's because we're mobile in God's grace. We're not stuck in it. The load referred to there in verse 5, that's what we're going to bring personally to the Lord on the final day. On that day, in that hour, there's no comparison and ranking. You're not standing there with anyone else. It's just you and him, as it will be me and him. John Brown, the great 18th century Scottish minister, writes on this verse, For at the judgment seat of Christ, every man will be a judge to eternal happiness or misery, not according to what he thinks of himself or what he is in comparison of others, but according to what he really is in heart and life before God. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. We reap what we sow. So friends, how are we going to keep a clear eye on sowing to the Spirit? How will we maintain a good godly gauge of our heart and life, our motivations, our actions? How will we keep fighting the flesh and not falling asleep by staying deep in God's word 
and walking it together out into the week. And for that, we need teachers. So last point here. He or she who would sow to the Spirit will invest deeply in gospel ministry. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word shall share, should share all good things with their instructor. The nevertheless here, it's most likely means that Paul's just looping back to verse 2 and he's making this an example of burden bearing for another. And it's one that has particular resonance for me because I'm one of your instructors. I'm one of the ones named here. The burden in this case, it's not a bad thing. It's a very, very good thing, but it's incredibly weighty. And all of us who teach in some form at this church, we feel the responsibility before God and his people to do this well, to the very best of our ability. It can take days to generate a sermon or a kids' program, a youth talk or a study, just hours to properly allow the word to read us, for God to do his surgery on us before we present it before others. And always, always, we've got before us this word from James 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. The load that we will carry before the Lord on that last day has a peculiar weight. So for that reason, I am so heartened by the way that this church takes this verse and others like it so seriously. Not just in your right expectation that the teaching you receive is meaty, it is weighty, it is substantial, it is prepared, and it, collects, and it collides with your life. I love that, the hunger that rises up out of the body in this church. It's not just that, but it's in your provision of a home for me and for others. The fact that I don't have to have a side hustle to keep going in gospel ministry like many that I know. You have set me aside with my family for full-time gospel ministry. It is incredibly humbling to be housed in that manner, to be honoured in that manner to be the object of such sowing to the Spirit, and I urge you, keep sharing the good things that God has given you, be it money or prayer or a dinner table, with your many instructors, for I am one of a great number at this church. The scripture, SRE appeal, it's an immediate opportunity, isn't it? To back those who are teaching the word in our local schools, to help bear that significant burden with them. We want them as free as possible to get to the coalface, Give. I want to close this point by speaking on behalf of those SRE teachers, on behalf of every kids' ministry leader, every junior, senior, high leader, every growth group leader and member of the ministry team, everyone who instructs in some way here at St Ives. Of all the good things we are thankful for, the one good thing we desire the most the good thing that will help us bear our burden better is you. It's just you. Your immediate presence. Here, in the flesh, attending in person to the taught word of God. Thank you for being here tonight. 
Thank you for making that effort. You may have just rolled in as a matter of habit, but I can tell you as the teacher, it matters deeply that you are here. Friends, nothing makes an instructor want to give up burden-bearing more than constant absence of those under their care. The temptation to quit is most acute when the long private hours of preparation are dishonoured in empty chairs that should be occupied. It's gutting. I want to say that as a leader, but also as a leader of leaders who is regularly charged with just keeping them going in the face of constant absence. Friends, even when we take COVID and the restrictions into account, even when we understand the strangeness of this season, COVID has revealed in us a deep commitment, a deep gravitational draw to comfort and convenience often over the reality of being together as a body. Friends who are watching online, you may be visiting, maybe checking us out, you might be on the road, you might be sick. So good to have you with us. But if you are there on your couch because it's wet and it's cold, and that's your only reason not to be here because it was easier, you have withheld your best good thing from us tonight. Stop doing that. The trouble is everyone here is now feeling rather superior. Look again at this passage. Don't withhold your best good thing, be it on a Sunday or at a growth group, in whatever context. Be present in all weathers. It's so encouraging. It helps those of us charged with the very grave matter of teaching God's word to keep bearing that burden, to delight in it, not to begrudge it. Your presence is so encouraging. Well, in conclusion, as we close this letter, be clear on what we have been freed from and freed for in Christ. Hear the call to sow carefully, deliberately to the spirit, not the flesh, for we will reap what we sow. Let us be a gospel community that restores the sinner gently, deliberately, just as God has forgiven us. Let us be people who bear one another's burdens just as Christ has borne ours. People who boast in nothing but the cross, invest deeply, personally in gospel ministry. For in good time we will reap an eternal harvest and receive the inheritance which is ours in Christ. Amen.